Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Tomorrow, in honor in honor of Holocaust Remembrance Day, tomorrow is April 18th at 2.30 p.m., Fairfield University, there's Bennett Center for Judaic Studies at the Kelly Center Presentation Room will be hosting our next guest, Mr. Emil Fish. The event is free and open to the public, and I definitely hope that you will be there to meet and hear this extraordinary gentleman who is with us right now. Hello, Mr. Fish. Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show today. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it's a pleasure for me. Uh, Mr. Fish, where do you make your home? Where do you live now? Well, I lived for about um, 55 years in California, and the last seven years I lived in uh, Lower Marion in Philadelphia. So I commute between my business in Los Angeles and my business on the East Coast, and I live in three places, sometimes in Israel, most of the time in Philadelphia, and I still have my residence in Los Angeles. How old are you? How old am I? Yeah. You first, you gotta tell me how old I sound. Then I tell you how old I am. I don't know how old you. I I can't tell how old you are by how old you sound. I can't even. I don't know how old are you. I'm 88 years old. The reason I ask is because my mom is 88, my father's 93, and my dad also is still in business and doing his thing. But I don't know too many people around your age that are still running around the world and have active businesses. That's why I asked. That's pretty cool. Yes. Well, it keeps me out of trouble. I, I, I hear that. And what kind of businesses do you, are you in? Where, what, what do you do? Well, my, most of my businesses are construction, uh, single-family homes, tract homes, and senior housing. Uh, I have some retirement homes and nursing home I had. I sold most of my – half of my business I sold – so I can devote most of my time to heritage um, and Holocaust. As I get older, I realize it's more important uh, for us survivors to speak on behalf of the Holocaust, on behalf of the people who disappeared, than uh, being business-minded. 
So, Emil Fish, where were you born? I was born in Slovakia, in a little town, eastern part of Slovakia, called Bardejo, B-A-R-D-E-J-O-V-E, which was mostly a Hasidic, or very Orthodox, but not everybody was there Orthodox. That's when I was born. Were you born into an Orthodox family? I was born into a very Hasidic family. Oh. I grew up Hasidic, and my first language was Jewish. Yiddish. I spoke Jewish to my father is my first language. You mean Yiddish, right? Yiddish. Yiddish, yeah. And, uh, okay, Vishte. And um, so, so, Mr. Fish, so you were born in Slovakia, and who ruled Slovakia when you were born there? Well, after, I don't know how much history you want me to tell you, but I can talk for hours, but I'll make it short. After the First World War, the League of Nations, whatever you call it, uh, made a country called Czechoslovakia, a combination of Slovakia and Czech. And they had a very progressive president, Masaryk, who gave all the freedom to all the Jews and all the minority groups. He happened to be married to an American uh, woman. And it was the most ideal country in the world. As a matter of fact, I think it was even statistically uh, richer than America. There was all the freedom till. Uh, Hitler came to power, and and the the Slovakian wanted to separate from Czech. Uh, they always felt they were like a minority, and so they in 1938, I think they split away from Czech. So it was during the war, it was Czech and Slovakia. Then after the war, it got back to be Czechoslovakia in 1945. And then the communists took over uh, politically in, in 1948. And, and then there was, again, Czechoslovakia, and about eight, nine years ago, so it split against Slovakia from, in a peaceful way from Czech. I think I visited, is Breslov in Slovakia? Bratislava is in Slovakia. That's the capital of Slovakia. Yeah, I went to see it. I spent a day there. Yeah. It's very interesting. Very interesting. Right. So we're chatting with Emil Fish, who's going to be tomorrow at 2.30 p.m. for free and talking a little bit about his life and Holocaust Remembrance in honor of Holocaust Remembrance Day at Fairfield University. So, so Mr. Fish, how is it, as a Hasidic Jew in the war, how is it that you escaped death in the concentration camps? What is your story? Well, the fact is that everybody that survived has a unique story. There are no two people who survived who have the same story. So the question is, uh, the question is, how long do you give me to describe to you how I survived? Because it's a long story. And if you tell me you got two hours, then I'll put two hours. If you give me five minutes, I'll make it shorter. I have more like eight minutes. I have more like eight Eight. minutes. Go ahead. Do the best you can. It's very simple. Make it very short. And... In Slovakia became an independent country, a protectorate of like Italy. There were only two countries in Europe who had their own, they kept their own country away because they were not occupied by the Nazi. I think it was Italy and Slovakia. So my father is a very successful businessman, and in nineteen in Bardia, in nineteen forty two, um, there was the first transport to Auschwitz. And they took, there were 3,000 Jews, more or less, in Bardiov, 
80% were taken away in 1942 to Auschwitz or other camps. There were 20% got exemptions because the Slovakian government wanted them, needed them to the country, and they were they gave them Gentile Arizator partners. So my father uh, got a partner. Uh, and so out of the 3,000, maybe four, 500 Jews in Slovakia got exemptions. And so my father was one of them who got exemptions. And there were no transport of Jews taken from Slovakia between 1942 and 44. We lived, we had to wear stars or bands, and we were restricted, and we were minorities, discriminated, and called Jews, and propaganda, but the fact is, there were no transports taken to concentration camp between 42 and 44. In 44, there was an uprising by the partisans of Slovakia, and it was not successful. And Germany Soldiers occupied Slovakia in 1944, and one of the orders was to catch every Jew that they possibly could and send them to concentration camp. So people in 44, they moved west because the the government said that you have to move west because they wanted to have it in a group, and then everybody realized they're going to be caught and sent to concentration camp. So everybody was trying to hide, either through aerial papers, means Christian papers, or they're hiding in in apartments, or they paid. But the order was that if you hide a Jew, you're going to get killed. So all the people who were hiding Jews in, in around November turned us in. And we were, my father was a very successful businessman, a lot of connections, and we made arrangements to stay in a very beautiful apartment. We paid the guy, and the day we came to stay there was the day where the Slovakian government and the Nazis said that if you catch anybody hiding Jews, we're going to kill them. He left 11 o'clock at night. He said, I'm going to visit somebody, but my father knew that he's going to turn us in. At midnight, the Gestapo knocked on the door and took us down to a concentration camp for one day in Slovakia called Seret. And my father was sent to Buchenwald, and my mother and my sister and me were sent to Bergen-Belsen. That's the short of the story. So that was 1944. Almost the war is almost over. Right, in November. Now, the, the, the bad part is that the worst part of Bergen-Belsen was the end of the war, yeah. because people were dying, learning like flies. There was no food, typhus and rampant all kinds of sicknesses, and they had no provisions for food, they had no provisions for anything. So people were dying, and they could not be even cremated. They didn't have enough crematorium, and they did not have food. So people were dying left and right, and there were thousands and thousands of bodies um, uh, in Bergen-Belsen in the last five, six months. Uh, it happens to be that uh, uh, the block next to us was a uh, from Holland, the kids from Holland. And as far as I know, I, one of the kids at one time was Anne Frank. Really? Right That's where you were. Wow. But I don't remember her. Nobody remembers her. And I think she came and she left. They mm-hmm. took her someplace, but she got typhus with her sister, Margot, and she never survived. 
My sister got typhus and did, did survive. Your sister survived even though she had typhus? And what about yes. your parents? Did they survive? My, my father was in Buchenwald, and my mother did not get typhus, and I did not get typhus. And so they so survived. Did not, they didn't, they yes. weren't sent right away to the gas chamber, in other words. There were no gas chambers in Bergen-Belsen. Most people died, uh, died natural death from malnutrition. There was no food. There was no water. Uh, the Germans couldn't take care of us in any shape or form. So people were literally, literally dying like flies. And you were how old then? Nine, nine, eight. How old were you? Nine, nine years old. I was. I came to camp to Bergen-Belsen. I was nine, and Bergen-Belsen was liberated by the English in uh, April 15, 1945, so I was 10, six days after my birthday. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. After the war, what happened to your family? You found each other. What happened? What, what so did you do? My father uh, was very educated. He studied in Germany. Uh, it was a, we were an unusual family because he was very educated and we came from a very uh, orthodox family. And he told my mother, if you survive, whoever survives goes back to home, to Bardiel. That's where we're going to meet. Ah, okay. That was the order my father gave to my mother. And so after the consultation camp, we waited for about two, three months till my sister recovered from typhus. So we went to Bardia, and we were told that my father did not survive because the rumors were going, all kinds of rumors and the records, Red Cross had records, Jewish organization had records. Most of them were not perfect. And then, so we assumed that my father, we were told, didn't survive. And then one day he sent a telegram from Slovakia, I'm coming home. Oh. That's when we knew that he survived. So he came to Bardiov, and we lived there from 45 till the Congress took over in 48. And then 48, every Jew in Slovakia, Czechoslovakia, depending what year you're talking about, wanted to leave. And most of them left. They didn't want to live under the communists. They figured the communists were going to be like the Nazis. It was just going to be a terrible thing. Right. They were not friendly to, or, to Jews. Communism right. was not. The Jews. No. So most of the people left either for Israel and so on. I went by myself uh, in 49 to a Hebrew to a tour in Israel, and my parents were supposed to follow me, but I told them that the conditions in Israel are very hard, 
So they went to Canada, and then I joined them in 51 in Canada. Okay. Wow. And, wow, so Canada. They made their way to Canada. You end up in they Canada. They made their way to Canada. And I, I was a minor, so they insisted that I should join them. Against my wish, I came home to Canada. And then we, in 1951, 50. 55, sorry. So we, 55, we moved to Los Angeles because from my mother's side, most of the family lived in Los Angeles from Europe, and they were, uh, so all the cousins came to Los Angeles. So I have a big family in Los Angeles. We're chatting with Emil Fish. Emil, (laughs) I mean, you're just a fascinating person to talk to, and you still sound so robust and have so much energy. When you when you grew up here, when you were able to process all of this uh, and this horror, like what was your family's attitude as a family about what they experienced? Well, it's it very well documented that, that um, when I came to to Los Angeles in fifty five, in fifty five, I was exactly twenty years old. And I went to university, I got an engineering degree from USC, not very friendly to Jews at that time, but I did get a degree from there. And Holocaust survivors, nobody knows why, including my father and myself too, did not want to talk about the Holocaust. So when somebody would ask me, so where were you during the war? I would tell them I was in Europe and I survived, but I wasn't very much interested in telling them story. Uh, and so Holocaust survivors were not very good telling stories about the Holocaust. They were busy raising the family, business, and so on. It's lately that the Holocaust survivors are talking more and more, including me, about the Holocaust. You know, I was reading about that, and what I read was that this idea of repressing such painful memories was an essential tool to getting on with life and building a good life with a lot of happy experiences. That there are a lot of psychologists who say now that that repression is what saved a whole generation of people and allowed them to flourish and thrive. Because the Holocaust survivor community in this country, at least the ones I grew up with, I'm 62 and I grew up in Woodmere, which was a very Jewish enclave, still is. And my parents... um, were, you know, my my father was first-generation American, but his parents came uh, in 1912 and 1921, and my mother had been American for a long time. But I knew many, many, many kids who were children of direct Holocaust survivors, and they had built amazing lives here, and they told me that their parents never discussed it with them. I think my it father was... Never, my father never discussed Buchenwald with me. And he, even, he survived even to Buchenwald. his death, even even to the day he died, never, never, he never. He, I mean, he uh, he told me he was in Buchenwald, but he never told me the details. I only put together details from other people. He was very positive, as an unusual person, and all the things that he, he saved a lot of people in concentration camp. But all of the stories that I know about the concentration camp is from other people who tell me about my father. My father never. Uh, sat down with me and said, let me tell you about Buchenwald. I've never heard of any Holocaust survivor who took his kids and said, let me tell you about my concentration camp experience. And being the victims of such crazy hate, 
How did you internalize that in terms of positive feelings for human beings in the world? I think that most Jewish people are used to programming and, and bad news. So as, as, a, as, a, as a clan or a tribe or a religion, we are used to bad things. So we know how to process bad things and go on in life. And that's what actually happened, I think, a lot. And then I think subconsciously we did not want Hitler to win. So we had many kids and successful, and that's, that's the answer, I think. Hitler isn't here. We are here. I think that's so, the right answer, Emil. I think yeah. that's the right. That's the answer. You're right on the money. I think that's right. Uh, because I grew up in a family where my grandparents, you know, got out of the way of pogroms. That's why, thank God, they got here. And I always heard the stories that way. But I always heard them in a way it was like, you know, yeah, that happened to us. But, you know, let's sit down and have a good meal. Let's smile. Let's talk about you going to college. Let's talk about what's happening in your life, what you're going to do, what you're going to do, the future, the future, the future, the now, the now, the now. Never, ever lingered on the past, ever. Well, now that there are less and less of us, uh, I think the world and the Jewish people start realizing that we better talk about it because there won't be too many to talk, uh, people who are going to give you first-hand uh, testimony. And that's exactly what I decided to do in the last 15 years. I gave up half of my business in order to promote heritage and, and Holocaust education. But, uh, you know, the fact is that... Uh, the Holocaust became a good a subject to discussion the last five, ten years. Do you think, are you concerned as an American citizen now, do you see any reemergence of hate in our society that's troubling to you? Uh, well, the question is, there, there are two questions here. Is it The question is, is it never again going to happen, right? And what I think personally your question is, can it happen again? Well, my question is, are you worried right now about the reemergence of a lot of anti-Semitism in this Absolutely. country? Let me, you... let me tell you why. Yeah, tell me. I was of the, uh, the opinion um, a few months ago that never again is, is a reality. We're never going to have a Holocaust. But then I was invited you know, to an African country uh, to be a main speaker of a, of a commemoration. And I studied the Rwanda history of the genocide, and I came to the conclusion that the Holocaust is going to happen again against the Jews. I changed my mind. Really? Why? Why? Because over there, a million, 800,000 people, a million people were killing each other. With, they have a common language of a thousand years and a common religion, and they were still killing each other. So if they are doing it after the wars, then anybody's capable of doing it. I'm talking about neighbors killing neighbors of the same religion and the same language. You're That's talking about what happened in Rwanda? Are you talking about what happened in Rwanda? Yes. Yes. Who's going to protect us? The world is still anti-Semitic. I don't think anybody's going to protect us in case. Uh, and so I'm worried about what's happening in America with anti-Semitism very much. But, you know, 
but that I changed my mind since I, I was a main speaker at a commemoration there with diplomats there and officials, and I talked to them, and they didn't have an answer. Actually, there were United Nations soldiers there before the genocide, and because they killed about 10 of them, they pulled out. And they let, they let the people kill each other. I mean, it's just my personal opinion. So I think I think never again is a dream. It's not a reality anymore. Emil Fish, I want to thank you for coming into Connecticut tomorrow. I think you'll have a packed house at 2.30 p.m. at the Bennett Center for Judaic Studies at Fairfield University. And um, if I can be there myself, I will. I don't think I can because I'm a judge, and in the afternoons I have a lot of hearings. But if I'm not okay. otherwise committed to a hearing, I'm going to come meet you myself to shake your hand. I want to thank you very much for coming on our radio show. God bless you. I hope God gives you many good, healthy, robust years. You sound fabulous. And thank you for telling your story. Okay, thanks for the invitation. It's a pleasure. Emil Fish on the Lisa Wexler Show. We'll be right back with Lisa on the Law. Stay tuned. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at Lisa at LisaWexler.com.